Hi, I'm the Reverend Lizzie McManus-Dale. And I'm the Reverend Jonathan McManus-Dale. And this is... Father's No Best! Where we, as an Episcopal clergy couple, talk about the Bible and preaching and... The plan of salvation! <laughs> yes, can't that also. So Jonathan, this week, the lectionary text is John 3, cha- uh, John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, which right. includes... The infamous, the famous John three sixteen, which is printed on the bottom of Forever Twenty One bags. Forever Twenty One. <laughs> I know, right? It's printed on the bottom of In and Out. The pinnacle bags. of ethical companies. <laughs> it's you missed what I just said. It's printed on the bottom of In and Out. It's not. Co- it absolutely is. I just fact checked this. Uh, the godless California company. Yes. Has John three sixteen. Wow. Well, okay. <laughs> I know it's on the cookout milkshakes. <laughs> right. So it is like one of these verses. That is an evident. That is an outward invisible sign of God's love for us. A cookout milkshake. <laughs> okay. I've just thought of something. I really first encountered this verse with the specificity of its cultural milieu. Like John three sixteen is its own kind of telos. When I was in high school and I was in like a, a U.S. history class and it, we were learning about the emergence of the American evangelical movement. Mm-hmm. And my teacher, who like no doubt was like not a Christian, um, was talking about how John 316 is what you see people holding up at sports games. Yeah. And he looked at me because I was kind of the default Christian of the room. And he was like, you know what John 316 is? And I was like, bruh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> like I grew up Catholic and now I'm Methodist. That's not a thing for us. Uh-huh. But you... Had a very different experience. Oh, yeah. I mean... Tell me what John 3.16 meant to you. John 3.16 is like the first memory verse you learn Mm -hmm. as an evangelical or a Baptist as as I was. Um, You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? Like you you learn it. You learn it early and you learn it quickly. And um, because John 3.16 is like the focal point for this theology of like... You ask Jesus into your heart, you pray the sinner's prayer, um, and you're saved. You you go to heaven, you don't go to hell. Right? Okay. And, and John 3.16 sort of... Encapsulates that. Yeah. Right. So um, this lives so much in your, your cultural world and in your mm-hmm. family that several years ago, uh, on Christmas, your grandmother, Granny, mm-hmm. who uh, has gone to be with Jesus now. Yes, she is. And our Auntie Georgia were putting together Christmas presents. And Georgie, uh, Georgie, <laughs> <laughs> Granny, that's my other auntie, different side of the family. Uh, Granny was um, in an advanced state of dementia at this point. And so she and Auntie Georgia had really... Um, made the Christmas present fun. So she was giving us like $1 bills, yeah. but wrapped in like layers of tissue paper and bows. And like, they were really like intricate. So you really, right. You really had to like get involved. So it made the opening of them, the sort yes. of game and to amuse granny, Auntie Georgia had put all of these like fun little puzzles, like do a dance or sing this little song or something to open the present. And I was still new to the family. I can't remember if we were married we were yeah. married, but early on, I it, think. I think it might have been our first Christmas. Um, our first Christmas married, yeah. Because yeah. we were, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and so the one that was given to me to do <laughs> was, re- and I'm sure that Auntie Georgia meant this as like, a, this is an easy lowball, new to the family. <laughs> and it was recite John 3.16. Y'all, she couldn't do it. I looked up, I'm in divinity school at this point, and I'm like, for God so loved the world uh, that 
uh, God gave, uh, <laughs> and the Confirmed whole my family's room. worst fears. <laughs> <laughs> the whole room finished it for me. Right. <laughs> so we, uh, needless to say, have two very different approaches when this text appears in the lectionary yes. and like how to interpret this text. And you kind of have some some baggage and some like recon like decolonizing, deconstructing, and reconstructing around it. Definitely. And I'm obsessed with John, chapter three, verse. 14, mm-hmm. which is where we're going to start today. So Jonathan, will you read the text? And then I'm going to tell you about why I'm obsessed with snakes and like actual snakes. Yes. And uh, this verse. Yes. This chapter. Okay. A reading from the gospel according to John. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe in him are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness, rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do not do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so before we get into all this darkness, light, believe, saved, whatever. This first verse, verse 14, says just as Jesus, it begins, Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. This is a reference to the book of Numbers, chapter 21, Mm -hmm. verses 4 through 9, which conveniently is the Hebrew Bible slash Old Testament lesson for the week. And I'm just going to give you all a summary. You can look up the whole thing. Basically... Uh, the Israelites have crossed through the Red Sea. They're wandering in the wilderness. They've been given manna by God. They've been given sustenance, but they're still wandering, and they start to complain. The the uh, NRSV says the people became impatient mm. on the way, and the people spoke against God and Moses, saying, "Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we detest." This miserable food, which is the food that God has provided, right? And man, manna, literally yeah. the bread of angels. <laughs> literally the bread of angels, which is not thought to be too tasty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so then God sends poisonous serpents. Now, my brother, who uh, features in my sermon this week, um, who wanted to be a herpetologist when he grew up, when I called him to consult him as the resident snake expert, was very quick to say, snakes are not poisonous, they're venomous. Poison yes. is something you eat, venom is something that tries to eat or bite you. Uh, but we're just going to go with the NRSV, poisonous right, snakes. <laughs> obviously did not consult Tom in the translation. <laughs> <laughs> he should be on the next committee. <laughs> Wouldn't that be some? Okay, so God sends venomous serpents who bite the people and then they die. <laughs> and then they oh. <laughs> And then the people are like, "Oh no." <laughs> Indeed they were. <laughs> Lizzie paraphrase, "Oh no. We have <laughs> sinned against the Lord and Moses. Please, Moses, take these serpents away from us." And God says to Moses, <laughs> "Make a poisonous serpent." Clearly, God did also not consult Tom. Right. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> make a venomous, make, make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. Mm. So Moses makes a serpent of bronze and puts it up on a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, they would look at this and they would live. Now, my brother points out an interesting thing about this is that bronze has some, um, I think, antibacterial properties. So interesting that it was oh. made of bronze. Um, cool, I, cool. I don't know how looking at bronze is going to cure a venomous, not poisonous, snake bite. I'm just After stuck the- wondering if there was a distinction in Paleo-Hebrew between venomous and poisonous. Uh, no, or was I- it just the same word? Anyway, okay, sorry. <laughs> what were you saying? <laughs> so, um, this is just an absolutely wild... I love I love this part of the Hebrew. I mean, I just love the narrative of the Exodus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is so rich. And really what made me um, really reading the Torah, as in the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, is what made me fall in love with Scripture. As someone who really did not grow up with the yeah, Bible yeah. In, in the way that you did, right? A, like, which is amazing. I mean, it's just amazing to sort of get into it in that way. Yeah. Well, I think I was talking about this the other day with someone. I feel like my Bible studies growing up were all like we would read something in the gospel or in the epistles, which like, why would you start with the epistles? They are so dense for a 14 year old to try and and understand. Boring compared to the stories, the story. And like when you, when you can like, like the Hebrew Bible as, as the entire Bible sometimes raises these like what is God doing, like, killing people with serpents in the wilderness, right? But, like, if you can set that aside for a second. Or even right? actually just hold or it. Or just, just, like, just hold it, right, with you as you read. It's just a wild story, right? Like, it's a wild story, and it's not sanitized. Right. Like, I grew up in these Bible studies that were like, what do you think was Jesus's motivation in healing this particular sick person? And it's always, the answer is always, well, that sick person had faith, and we have to therefore have more faith. And study which was like so useless to me (laughs) because I was like trying to deal with like really traumatic death in my family and friends I was like I mean I was dealing with the things of life and Mm -hmm. this sanitized let's read you know Galatians and Philippians which like reading Philippians was a gift to me like it's both especially when you acknowledge that Paul was like grappling with all of these text that we're talking about. Yeah, right? and like, in prison, but that was not the lens that right, was being t- exactly. It was like, it was this like lifted high apostle who's giving us this lifted high sanitized, sanitized pure thing. gospel. Right, anyway. Um, so anyway, I just, I, I find um, studying the Hebrew Bible to be so significant because often the, the human beings are left to discern what to do, how to make meaning, how to find God at work in their very hard lives. Mm-hmm. And that just Help me see God more. Um, And so, given this wild text, and given that this is the 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 sinew that Jesus threads um, here in John three, just as Mm -hmm. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, wilderness, (laughs) wilderness, so must the Son of Man also could be translated the human one. Son of Man just literally means like child of humanity. uh, Lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And it's interesting because the parallel is that in the story in Numbers, people are, they are dying mm-hmm. and the serpent doesn't give them eternal life looking at this bronze serpent, it, but it gives them, uh, it saves them from death, Yeah, which I think is an interesting dialectic to hold. But, um, but also, I, so I called my, so I said, I mentioned, I called my brother, Tom, who, um, is, 
Uh, he's worked for the national parks. Like he's got all sorts of wild snake stories. So he didn't grow up to be a herpetologist, but he did grow up to do woodsy, smart biology things. And one of the things that I called him to confirm was um, when you're bitten by a venomous snake, mm -hmm. uh, one of the first things you're supposed to do, right, is to elevate the bite and mm -hmm. um, so that the um, that it doesn't run to your heart. The venom doesn't go through your bloodstream right. to your heart. But the other thing, one of the big things to do is if you're in the wilderness and if you can, you need to kill the snake and bring the snake with you to the hospital or at least have a picture because the physicians who are treating you for that snake bite, they need to know what bit you because anti-venom is specific to the species of snake that bit you. So if you get bit by a rattlesnake, you're not going to be uh, sufficiently treated with like cottonmouth anti-venom. It has to be from that specific snake. Right. And to make anti-venom, even today in modern science, mm -hmm. you still got to milk the snakes. Crazy. You still have to milk them, which is why in our really corrupt medical system, a bottle of anti-venom is like literally $5,000. Wow. Because, I mean, and I understand there's like a lot of labor involved to like milk a, a poisonous, sorry, venomous snake. <laughs> um, and so I've been fixated on this because this chapter, this verse, specifically John 3, 16, is lifted up as this, like, this is the ticket to heaven. Mm -hmm. And I've thought a lot about the comparison with the snakes and what does it mean mm -hmm. that to survive the snake bite, the Israelites have to look upon the thing that tried to kill them. Mm -hmm. and, and the sort of modern parallel of to survive a venomous snake bite, mm -hmm. you need the venom of that snake. Right. For the anti-venom. The antidote is, comes from the poison or mm. the venom. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sitting with that. Yeah. That's true to life, I feel like. Well, and I think it's true to the cross. And so I, I'm tempted in this episode. I'm, I'm working on my own. <laughs> uh, I'm preaching Good Friday, so I'm working on my own sort of systematic theology of the crucifixion, uh, which I may or may not just preach that systematic theology, or I may have mercy on my congregation and, and craft a sermon from this, like, you know, rereading Niebuhr and Fleming Rutledge and James Cone. But, but the thing that I keep coming back to is, like, one of, I think, the tenets of Christianity is that Jesus died to conquer death. And that is a paradox that makes no sense. But there are all of these, like, smaller ways mm -hmm. that we see, like, evidence of resurrection. And I'm not somebody who needs evidence, but we see it all around us. And this right. whole, like, anti-venom venom thing is just like, it's just got my goat! <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, and, and that... Um, what Jesus is speaking of here is that it must be lifted up. Mm -hmm. You know, the serpent, Jesus, when he's talking about lifted up, he's talking about being crucified, which was a first century lynching. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a peaceable death, just like being bitten by a snake. is not a peaceful experience. Mm -hmm. Well, where that's connecting for me, Lizzie, is that, um, well, there's so much to say about Cone's read of the cross and mm -hmm. you know the re the redemptive value not of the cross in and of itself but this sort of subversion and, and you're going to get in much more into this yeah later but you, on, can, you but, can give a little but clue. The, the subversion of like human power um you know jesus sort of absorbs this violence in order to make peace and that yeah and that reminds me of 
the collect for Fridays um, in morning prayer, which is um, something to the effect of Jesus um, suffered pain before he was resurrected, and grant that we, walking the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. And I just think of like, you know, the life of faith is Mm. so often... We too have to suffer pain sometimes, not necessarily because like God causes it or God wants that for us, but like in order for our idols to be stripped away, Mm -hmm. it's painful sometimes. Mm -hmm. And yet it leads to resurrection and new life. What does it mean that, that pain is purifying? Yeah. And not all pain, but like, I I think, actually I do think all pain has, um, I'm fresh from continuing ed on trauma and crisis. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that um, uh, Professor Genomedics was saying in our continuing ed session was that, like, um, people can endure the same thing and one person can encounter it as crisis and one person can encounter it as trauma. And the sort of simple definition is trauma is being unable to finish the story. Mm. So trauma is saying this bad thing happened. And it's still happening because I haven't, I haven't, there's no, and this is what I've learned from it. And this is how I've grown. Crisis is like, this bad thing happened. This is what it looked like. This is what it felt like. And here's how I've recovered. Here's what I've learned from here. Here's how I've metabolized it in such a way that has given me a sense of clarity or purpose or strength or recovery or, you know, um, empathy. Um, And that I think is that like, there's the reality of like human pain and suffering is just... It's just going to happen, mm-hmm. right? And death is the one fact of life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that Jesus dies, as Fleming Rutledge says, we are the only religion with a dead God at the center, mm-hmm. uh, world, major world religion, um, shows, well, I'll, I'll get a little bit into this. I'm, y'all, I just want to be clear. I am working out this theology, okay? This is... This is how theology's done, though. This is theology in process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been rereading The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone, and in his chapter, The Terrible Beauty of the Cross, he has this sort of extended reflection on Reinhold Niebuhr and Reinhold Niebuhr's um, theology of the crucifixion, and then in conversation with Reinhold Niebuhr's presence in the 50s and 60s, TLDR, Reinhold Niebuhr um, misses a lot of opportunities uh, to um, understand and be in solidarity with uh, the civil rights movement, and yeah. he really advocates for a gradualism of uh, a gradualism to repair suffering that he himself is not enduring. Right. But um, Cohn outlines what he gets right, and and so uh, this is from page thirty five. The crucified Messiah is the final revelation of the divine character and divine purpose. That's Cohn quoting Niebuhr, and he goes on to say, the revelation of divine goodness in history must be powerless, mm-hmm. end quote, because human power is always self-interested. And Howard mm-hmm. talks about that, too. Um, and so ultimately, uh, and Cohn draws this conclusion using Niebuhr, the Christ is led as a lamb to the slaughter, Niebuhr, and then Cohn says, thus God's revelation transvalues human values, turning them upside down. Right. And we see that a lot in the sort of upside down kingdom of God, especially in the Matthean gospel, I think. Mm -hmm. That's a really strong theme. Um, But 
in that, I absolutely hear John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Like, Jesus is going to die, and Lent is leading us ever closer to Good Friday, and that's why we have this text here. Jesus is going to die for love, for yeah. this value that is far more powerful and far more um, subversive, far more, more transvaluing. Than yeah, than... Um, death that is glorified as some kind of like I don't know human conquest yeah it's like Jesus is not here to kill people to assert his power right right and you had something that you wanted to say about so so later in this passage I think some things to note um some things I always am concerned with is that they loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil um, Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney reminds us that like, and Sarah Coakley, that um, <laughs> darkness is also of God. And in right. fact, throughout Exodus, God most frequently appears as a thunderous, dark cloud. Yes. Um, and that darkness is... That contains mystery and unknowing and like growing things in the ground. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Go back to our episode with um, Elder Amber Bergen for mm-hmm. uh, like just the... Oh my God! Just a great exegesis of ugh. light and darkness in Scripture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's just something I hold, and like Scripture holds both. We can also yeah. hold that, like here, the darkness is. And, and what it's specific. talking about here, though, is is I think you know I think we do have to be careful with that light and dark imagery, but it's also talking about a light that exposes and a dark that obscures, and um, that's different when we talk about the deeds of human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Um, truth is exposed in the light Mm -hmm. and, um, right. And so, um, yeah, I think that's all I'll say for that. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this belief piece, belief piece. Yeah, Yeah. go for it. Okay. So, um, and this is for, for everybody who's grown up with sort of a, that, cultural waters understanding of John three sixteen right? And, and I certainly was. And um, I feel like this passage for me growing up hinged on the word believe. Mm. Um, and believe for me growing up meant um, everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. That word believe kind of meant praying a sinner's prayer. It kind of meant believing making a jump in your mind, Mm -hmm. like a cognitive assent to Mm -hmm. a doctrinal statement. Yeah. Right. So like saying yes to the free will Baptist doctrinal statement, or even saying yes to the apostles creed, I believe all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that really, I think maybe that's part of it. Sure. I mean, we say the creed a lot. We say the creed a lot, but I think that's really to cheapen what the word believe means. Mm -hmm. Um, and in Greek, right, I've got my Greek New Testament out here. Oh, fancy. I'm, I'm pretending that I can read it, um, and I can read certain words for sure. Um, and one word that I can still read from taking Greek in divinity school is um, is the word belief in Greek, his um, pisteo, pisteoon, actually. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But that's the verbified, the verbified version of pistis, which is faith, mm-hmm. right? And so, and just to me, I don't know if any of you feel this way, but, but in English, believe in faith has a slightly different connotation. Yeah. 
like believe is this sort of cognitive operation mm. um, to me. Like I believe in Santa Claus, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's a binary. It's a binary. Like either you do or you don't. Or I believe you. Or right. I don't believe you. Right. Faith, on the other hand, calls to mind a walk and a journey and a way of life. Um, faith, believing that, like even even if we even and especially when we hold the mystery of God and God's love and God's justice in our life and we don't understand how all of that works together, even when we, like, read the Bible and all of its complexity, it's it's still putting our trust in this, in this God who created, redeemed, and sustains the world mm. and our lives. And that, to me, is not momentary. Mm. That is a journey. Mm. That's a, that's an everyday conversion. Mm. And so, um, and so I think, you know, and and so often in scripture, I think I have a tendency at least to read it prescriptively instead of descriptively. Mm. And what if, and say say more about that. And so, so so I'm gonna get into that. So what if, what if we say this bit about being condemned because we don't believe is more descriptive than prescriptive? What if, what if to not trust and, let ourselves be sort of held in the mystery and the love of God. Mm. What if we try to do it all of ourselves, all ourselves and control? Ooh, everything? so like white saviorism or white supremacy or yeah. a colonial, or like saying that we are ultimately in control and like, yeah. Like might is right or, mm-hmm. you know, or just that we can white knuckle it through life. Mm-hmm. Um, pull, us, pull ourselves up by our, by bootstra- our bootstraps. What if that's the condemnation? And we doled that out to ourselves, you know, um, you know, instead of, instead of surrendering, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, surrendering in a you know healthy way. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's actually, I mean, for me, it always comes back to surrender, mm-hmm. like not in some sort of submission to a prescriptive order of hierarchy where men are above women and that's the only binary that exists. And oh, that's yeah. like you know, evidence of Christ above the church or whatever. Um, but like a, a genuine recognition, um, you know, first of all, that I don't have all the answers. I'll never have all the answers. And that I am, perfection is not the goal. Like, right. like I often hear people say, well, I know it's not perfect, but, and it's like, was that the point? Right. Was that is the that point? Is that possible? <laughs> right. well, why, why strive for perfection? My God. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, and I think there's lots of like secular tools that speak to that as well. Like I think about one of the adages I hear a lot is that perfectionism is a tool of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I think a lot about Brene Brown's work and how she's like trying to, to liberate us all from this, like striving for perfection, but right. instead striving for excellence. Yeah. And yeah. So that's just my little, my little deconstruction and reconstruction of John three sixteen. And a way that I think I can at least continue to hold it and love it um, because I want to, to love it. And, you know, it, it does go back to that love. I mean, that's the, that's the, the truth before and after complexity as we, as we would say, right. Or the simplicity on the other side of complexity um, that God so loved the world. And I do think, so we had a great Bible study on this with some friends last week. Um, 
this bit, for all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that is often wielded as this, like, you have to confess everything to the church in a way that we can then manipulate and use and abuse your truth. But when I actually think about that in terms of the, as it says elsewhere in scripture, the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. And I love to then add Gloria Steinem's paraphrase, but first it will piss you off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, there's just like, we're in the midst of such collective crises and trauma right now. And part of that is because we have been so systemically and systematically lied to throughout this pandemic. And like, there is, the truth can be searing, right? Like sometimes like in our marriage, right? We have to tell each other truths that hurt Mm -hmm. because out of love, we are calling one another to account or saying you whom I love more than anyone have hurt me. Yeah. Um, right. And that's super painful, but it is like the pain. It is like the dynamic pain of revelation. Yeah. Um, that ultimately leads to healing. That ultimately leads to healing. If, which, if we, if we allow it to, if we allow it to, and if we are given space to, right? right. Because when pain is like prescriptive as Emily Towns and Audre Lorde outline and becomes suffering, the, the dynamism is lost mm-hmm. because it's just like trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think about what, what a gift that God's love does have justice in it. Mm-hmm. You were going to read something from Hebrews. Oh, I don't think it's any, relevant any longer. It was just to make the, the faith versus belief point, which is... You I just, think it's still relevant. That, I think you should that, read it. It's that, you know, what is faith? And Hebrews, book of Hebrews defines it for us. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, like, and I think about that, like, in the in the current moment that we're in, when like, yes, we do see the like, the hope and the light at the end of the pandemic tunnel, maybe, but like knowing that like, the world isn't going to suddenly become, like, the just kingdom of God like overnight or mm-hmm. like, immediately and and. To, but, and, and yet to still have the hope of the resurrection, to still believe, to be assured mm-hmm. of that which we hope for, even when we doubt it. And I think those things can coexist. Yeah, this is, I'm thinking about a, a message, a tweet, and an Instagram post from um, Chantel Smith, who is someone who I really, Pastor Chantel, and, um, <clears throat> well, she's just Chantel Smith on Instagram and TikTok and I think she she does these really great the Trinity videos. Oh yes. Yeah, and she has this uh, quote: "This is faith to be fully confident in what your God can do, and then to fully trust Him if He doesn't do it." Mm. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's very different from belief mm-hmm. in in the way that those words operate at this cultural moment. Yeah, in English. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Yeah. So I don't know if that. I mean, the thing about the Gospel of John is. It is, like, so dense Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I think we've just, just, like, scratched the surface. Oh, no doubt. And there's so many. I mean, the whole whole deal about John is the signs, Mm -hmm. right? The signs of, like, of Jesus's hour and -hmm. his glorification, Mm -hmm. right? And so... There's a there's a heavy hand of theology in John's gospel, mm-hmm. uh, which is what makes it beautiful and what makes it sort of complicated to interpret. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But hopefully, we've given y'all some tools for your own questions and your own wrestling and revelation. Um, and we 
uh, are just really delighted to be with y'all on yeah. this beautiful Wednesday morning. Um, I said that we were going to have a special guest this week. That was me misreading my calendar. We have a special guest next week. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. Our music is by dysfunction underscore AL used with a creative commons license. Um, Jonathan's not really on the internet somewhere, but you can always connect with me. I'm at rev Lizzie on TikTok and Instagram, and I'm not on Twitter cause I needed to keep my religion. <laughs> <laughs> But you can find my church at stjuliansaustin.org. Yes. And of course, I'm ecclaketravis.org. And we'd love to see y'all there. Bye. Bye.